Theological interpretation of Scripture is a practice of understanding the triune God through biblical texts. This process carefully examines the seats of doctrine, which are biblical passages that give rise to the doctrine of the Trinity. This study does not shy away from the historical or literary context of the texts, but rather leans into them, understanding how the cultural situation of the apostles' teachings can shed light on the divine mystery of the Trinity. The specific language used in the apostles' writings, as seen for instance in Paul's letter to the Galatians, is often instrumental in revealing aspects of the Trinity to human understanding. The main goal of this essay is to study the Trinitarian implications of a well-regarded biblical text, Galatians 4, 4, 7. Using Edward Schweizer's understanding that the phrase God sent His Son already implies a Trinitarian theology, the essay seeks to examine how this particular passage implies a Trinitarian theology. Using grammatical analysis, Swain posits that Paul views God's action through the Son and the Spirit as a direct, natural action of God Himself. This suggests that the distinction between God, the Son, and the Spirit is not a distinction between separate agents, but rather delineates different aspects of God's own agency. The concluding section of this essay will go on to discuss the kind of Trinitarian theology implied in Galatians 4, 4, 7, and identify three key elements that pertain to a Trinitarian interpretation of this text. Also, the debate over how Galatians 4 might imply a Trinitarian theology is entwined with the question of whether it assumes the pre-existence of the Son. James D.G. Dunn, based on his study of early Jewish and Christian examples of divine sending language, argues that this text does not assume the Son's pre-existence, while others, including Richard B. Hayes and Gordon D. Fee, suggest that it does. Although Swain does not completely dismiss the question of pre-existence, he contends that it is not the most crucial aspect to consider in understanding the Trinitarian implications of the text. Instead, Swain recommends focusing on the grammar of divine agency depicted in Galatians 4, 4-7. Taking Ludwig Wittgenstein's idea that grammar tells us the nature of an object, Swain proposes redefining the discussion around the nature of the action in which God sends His Son and Spirit to fulfill His plan for Israel and the nations. Swain posits that through considering Paul's answer to the nature of this divine action, we will better appreciate the Trinitarian implications implied in the text. Moreover, in Galatians 4, 4-7, the Apostle Paul explores the transformation of God's Son Israel from an underaged state to a mature state, as well as how Gentile Christians have come to participate in the filial status and privilege once exclusive to Israel. Paul attributes this shift to the dual mission of the Son and the Spirit, essentially saying they act through God. This action is described as God's direct intervention rather than an outcome achieved via third parties, forming a recurrent theme in the Galatians letter. Paul uses the difference between God's direct and indirect actions to defend His apostleship, emphasizing that it's neither from nor through man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, and to debate the validity of the Mosaic law as the medium to fulfill God's covenant with Abraham. He debates that God alone can realize Israel's eschatological redemption, contrasting this with the Mosaic law's mediating approach. This concept of God's direct agency over indirect efforts echoes a central monotheistic belief that God's redemptive activity is always direct and unilateral in nature. Paul affirms this belief by stating that God Himself acted redemptively through God, a superiority of direct divine agency over indirect or mediated ones. Hence, 
Whatever the Mosaic Law lacked to achieve God's purpose, God accomplished through the Son and Spirit's missions. Paul's assertion thus eliminates possibilities for interpreting the Son and Spirit's missions as simply actions of creaturely messengers, such as angels or prophets. Instead, the missions signify a unique distinction within God's sovereign agency, suggesting that God's single saving agency is intrinsically threefold. This conclusion has profound implications in understanding the nature of God and His actions. Furthermore, Swain's analysis of Galatians 4, 4, 7 is an exploration of Pauline theology or doctrines of the divine agency in the Bible. Swain accentuates that understanding the metaphysical aspects of Paul's teachings offers more depth to the concept of God's actions. Swain criticizes the tendency of modern biblical scholars to overlook or reject metaphysical analysis of the Trinity in the New Testament. He disputes this approach impedes a fuller comprehension of Paul's theology of divine agency. An example provided by Swain challenges assertions that God's actions portrayed in the Bible are solely dynamic rather than substantial. Paul's teachings affirm the immediacy of God's redemptive actions through the Son and the Spirit as reflective of God's singular identity. Swain also reveals an often neglected metaphysical aspect of Paul's theology by examining the relationship between God's identity, actions, and effects on creatures. Correspondences are asserted between God's monotheistic being and His actions, as well as the singular effects of these actions. God's redemptive actions display an instrumental causality, expressing the idea that God, acting alone, achieved redemption through His Son and His Spirit. Swain argues this understanding of divine action corresponds with Paul's monotheistic concept of immediate divine agency. He presents the idea that certain actions, such as creation and redemption, are unique to God and indicative of His power, which supports the correspondence between God's triune identity, actions, and effects in Paul's teachings. Swain concludes by affirming the natural potency of the one true God to deliver salvation, Stating adoption and the accompanying filial cry are natural signs of divine paternity, filiation, and spiration. Contrastingly, Paul views the law as incapable of delivering from slavery due to its inherent weakness. Last but not least, Swain analyzes Paul's grammar of divine agency in Galatians 4, 4-7, contending that this scripture implies a Trinitarian theology, incorporating God, Jesus, His Son, and the Holy Spirit. Swain states that the Scripture makes an internal distinction within God's immediate natural agency, portraying the activities of God, the Son, and the Spirit as one distinct entity. Second, Swain debates that Galatians 4 inherently distinguishes the three agents internal to God's singular natural agency through their named relations, Father, Son, and Spirit, and their various tasks or missions. Each name is unique and signifies an irreversible distinction from the others with respect to their productive relations. In terms of varied missions, the Father sends, whereas the Son and the Spirit are sent. The sending relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit mirror their named relations in the Scripture. The missions of the Father, Son, and Spirit are productive relations, characterizing their unique distinctiveness. Lastly, Swain highlights that God's Trinitarian action takes place not only in relation to Himself, but also towards us, as humans. However, the named relationships of the Father, Son, and Spirit are the prerequisites for missions. They don't result from these missions. Swain concludes that Galatians defines these missions not as divine self-formation, but as divine self-giving for the benefit of humanity. This is epitomized in the act of divine adoption, 
which extends the natural and internal relationship of the Son to the Father to humanity, communicating the God's Trinitarian perfection to everyone. In conclusion, Swain, in his theological analysis of the Scriptures, focuses on understanding the triune God by studying critical biblical texts, including Galatians 4, 4, 7. Swain posits that the language used by the apostles, particularly in this text, reveals aspects of the Trinity by suggesting the principle of divine agency. This principle implies that God's action through the Son and the Spirit is a direct assertion of God Himself and not separate agents acting independently. The agency of God, the Son, and the Spirit are delineations of a single divine entity. Swain also delves into the debate on whether Galatians 4 assumes the pre-existence of the Son. He acknowledges diverse views on the topic, but disputes that the focus should be on the grammar of divine agency depicted in the text, implying that the significance of the action lies in that God sends His Son and Spirit to fulfill His plan. In addition, Paul's philosophy indicates the transition of God's Son, Israel, from a juvenile to a mature state. It also dwells on how Gentile Christians have come to partake in the privileges once exclusive to Israel. This access is primarily attributed to the combined mission of the Son and the Spirit and signifies God's direct intervention in human affairs. Swain criticizes modern biblical scholars who overlook or dismiss metaphysical analyses of the Trinity in the New Testament. He argues that neglecting such analyses impedes a deeper appreciation of divine agency in Paul's theology. Further, Swain contends that understanding the metaphysics of Paul's teachings adds depth to our understanding of divine actions. Galatians 4, 4, 7, according to Swain, articulates a Trinitarian theology wherein God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit form a unified entity. The Scripture establishes distinctions among the three through their respective roles, signifying their unique individuality. Importantly, Swain maintains that these missions are expressions of divine self-giving for humanity's benefit, epitomized in the act of divine adoption. Swain concludes that the full understanding of the nature of God and His actions lie in His capacity to directly intervene and deliver redemptive actions.